This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's good to see you today. And uh, how many of you are excited about Christmas? Like, you still got that little kid inside of you, like Thanksgiving, and now it's Christmas. And I was walking through here on Wednesday, and the, the Advent, uh, the, or the wreaths, or I don't know, is that what you call them, the things that hang? Probably not call them wreaths, because wreaths go around. I don't know what you call those things. Swags. There you go. Thank you. I love that. I love. So the swags were up, and the tree was up, and the lights were on, and it's like, oh. Just a little, I don't know what it is inside of me, but it's just like that little buzz just starts going like it's Christmas time, right? Like we haven't listened to Christmas music. Well, we did last Saturday because it snowed and Asa got up and he like put on a Trans-Siberian Orchestra CD and the house was filled with Christmas music and then he made Christmas cookies because it's like, but it's just that little buzz. I don't know if you got that buzz inside of you, but I've got a little buzz inside of me that says, it's Christmas season. It's time to get dialed in. Um, around the church, we use a word like Advent. I don't know how, how many know what Advent means. Probably a few of you do, but um, uh, Advent's a Latin term that it really means just sort of like uh, spring training in baseball, right? It's, it's that season of life that you got to go through. It sort of helps you prepare. It helps you tune your heart, tune your mind, tune your attention to what's coming, to what God is doing in the midst of the world, to how God's wanting to connect with us. Advent's that season where it's like tune your heart. Tune your ears. Get ready. Start thinking about what's coming. I mean, this is important, and it is important. Uh, this is an important season because we've got to turn our attention. And so in the next few weeks, we want to share with you about some of the gifts of Christmas. We, uh, today we've got the gift of hope. Upcoming we'll have the gift of peace and love and joy. And then on Christmas Eve, it's the big reveal, right? It's the gift of Jesus. So be looking forward to this season of Advent, this, this uh, spring training season or the preseason of football, whatever you, you'd like, but our hearts are getting ready. As we get ready, as we think about hope, um, you know, hope is, hope is a word that, on the one hand, I, we probably say it a, a lot within the, within the fabric of the discourse of our, of our daily lives. Uh, I find myself talking about, I hope this will happen or that will happen. And sometimes, if, if you were to put a weight or if you were to measure your... Um, your usage of the word, you'd probably find that there are places where you use hope and you mean like this much, right? If we could measure it, if we could put water in a bottle and measure the volume of hope, it'd be like this much. And the significance about what it relates to is, is that much too. But then there's other places in life where you have deep hope, strong hope, and, and the significance of that hope is, is really profound and it's really significant for your life. Hope is a word that that crosses all of those um, variables. And hope is something that we live with and we act out of on a daily basis. Last summer, my youngest brother came for a visit and we went <clears throat> to Sky Zone over on the west side of, of town, the trampoline park. And my youngest brother and I were separated by 17 years and two days. And we have a bit of a competitive spirit. We've had it since... He started playing sports, and, and I still think I'm young, and so we have a competitive spirit. So we went to Sky Zone, and we're like, we're going to jump, and we're going to jump for an hour, and we're going to, you know, he's going to try stuff, and I'm going to try stuff. He did front flips, and I tried front flips until my head got caught underneath one of the side panel things, you know, and I'm like, that's probably enough. Front flips for me for the day. We tried all that, and <clears throat> then there was this other part of Sky, Sky Zone 
where you can jump into the pit of, of uh, foam blocks and stuff like that. Any of you been there, jumped into that pit of foam blocks? Come on, raise your hand if you've done it. All right, that's good. So I'm not the only one out there who's done that kind of thing. So I was um, pumped up about jumping into the, into the foam blocks. And I was also pumped up because I had been listening to AWOL Nation's Sail song, right? I don't know how it got on the radio, but it got, it, it got into my head, and I got stuck there. I've been jumping pretty high, pretty good all day long, and I'm thinking, this would be fun just to sail. And so my sister-in-law got out her phone, and, you know, hope moves you to action, and then, and then it leads you to, to this. You want to play Now, uh, I will say that I, I tried later on in the day, and my sister-in-law did not record that, and it was awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the, hope, is, hope is, I mean, on crazy stuff, zany stuff, and on serious stuff, hope is like that, right? You feel it. You feel it coming. And then sometimes you go flat. Um, it leaves you flat. There are moments in our own life. There are moments in the lives of, of people around you. There's moments across all time in history where people have had great hope and then they've fallen flat. Um, and not just on crazy things, but on significant matters. And sometimes hope is one of those elements that can be buried or it can be lost. It can be something that we, we miss and we don't know where it's at. But hope really is a gift. It's a gift from God and it's a gift that surges throughout um, our world. Even after, even after falling flat, there are places where hope begins to meet us and greet us again. And there's a reason why hope is something that doesn't go away permanently. And the reason for that is that hope is a gift from God himself. Paul talks about how in Romans 15, he says, God is the fountain of hope. And then in Romans 8, one of the things he says, he said, all of creation even though it's marred, even though it has its troubles, even though it has its longings, one of the things that creation, the very fullness of creation is longing for, is longing for the revealing of the children of God because it's hoping. Creation, Paul says, has hope. Hope is something that comes from God and, and it touches everything. It touches all the world. It touches us. So that rise or fall, great day or terrible day, we can't help but running into hope because there are ways that God wants to connect with us and God wants to be a part of our life. And so God keeps intersecting us, our lives. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a opening, the opening two chapters talk about how God begins walking alongside of the world back around the time of 4 or 5 B.C., in a unique and new way. See, in that moment, hope was, hope was small, hope was little, especially in the land of Israel, in the land of Palestine. Um, there was a guy who was, who was ruling that place, uh, in part because the Romans had put him into, had put him into office. But he wasn't a great guy. His name was Herod the Great. He gave that, that title to himself. In many ways, he was a great terror. Um, Josephus, an, an early Jewish historian, said 
it was safer to be a pig in Herod's palace than it was to be one of his own sons because Herod was out for himself and he was looking to make sure that he had accumulated all kinds of power. And if one of his sons tended to say, Dad, someday I'd like to be king, his, his head may be taken from him. A lot of sons didn't survive Herod's palace. And so there were these people living in Palestine, hearing promises of the prophets of Israel from of old that God cared about them, God loved them, God wanted to walk with them, God wanted to give them a place that was their own, that they could call home. And yet in that very place, there was this guy named Herod who was a tyrant who ruled. And I can't quite imagine what it might be like to live in a place that you want to love and you want to care about, and yet to live in a place where a tyrant rules. That has to be a very difficult place. But that's the place where this guy by the name of Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth live. And Zacharias is also a priest. And Zacharias and Elizabeth are very old and they have no children. But one day, Luke says, that Zacharias was chosen on behalf of the people to go into the temple in Jerusalem and to go into the sanctuary and to pray for the people of Israel. And then Luke tells us this story about how God begins to bring hope and to let hope arise again in Israel and for us. Luke says that while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. John will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the, the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Um, Zechariah is probably like a number of us. When he goes to church, he expects to go in and sing and pray and do the things that we do, but we, we don't always expect God to talk to us, do we? If the truth is told. We expect to do our thing and then walk out and say we've prayed and we've done our religious stuff. But in that moment, God sends an angel because God has heard the prayers of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias is, blows him away. He wasn't expecting this. He wasn't expecting an angel to show up in it angel to say you're going to have a son. In fact, he was so blown away that his voice was taken until his son was born. He couldn't talk. He couldn't imagine it, that God would show up in that form, in that fashion. But one of the beautiful things that we find throughout all of Scripture is that God loves to show up in surprising ways. He loves to show up in the midst of our life and in ways that we're not looking for him and draw close to us and let us, let us know that he cares about us, that he hears us, and that he's got something that he wants us to do. Over the past couple of months, 
I found myself going to, to some of the hospitals in this community. And on three different occasions, three different occasions, I was in places where I was talking to different guys. The first guy that I talked to was eating what would become his final meal, and he was lying back on a, on a bed. And um, his eyes, there was something magnetic and yet something incredible about his eyes. Because as I looked at his eyes and I talked with him, and, and he just kind of looked at me and he looked at other people in the room and he couldn't talk. But there was something about his eyes that said, at least to my heart and said to some of the other people who were in the room, that he was seeing things that we weren't seeing. He was seeing a reality that we couldn't see at that moment. And I knew in that moment that God was wanting me to see something in, in this man who on the one hand was dying, yet he wasn't dying. He was simply looking into the next phase of life. And then another visit to the hospital, to visit with a guy who's about my age, who's got a rare form of leukemia. I don't know what, you, um, what your experience is at a hospital. If you're a doctor or a nurse, uh, people look to you to be the professional, right? They look to you to have the answers. They look for you to come in and, and give comfort, give a sense of direction about how long they're going to be there, those kinds of things. And when a pastor comes into the hospital, I don't exactly know what your expectations are, but sometimes I go, it's like, I'm going to be there to pray, to encourage, maybe to give a ray of hope. But as I walked into this room with a guy who's my age, a rare form of leukemia, I sit and listened, and he talked about how God was working, um, working at his work so that he could stay on with his company for a while longer. God was working with the treatments to bring about healing in his body. How God was um, taking care of his family. Uh, I didn't find at that moment that I had come with any sense, but I was there to listen and to receive. God was showing up. And then most recently, I talked with a guy who, for all practical purposes, died and then, and then was still living. And he was regaining strength. And he said, I've worried about a lot of things in life. And he's in his mid-40s as he says this. He says, I've worried about a lot of things, but I'm at this place where it's time to be thankful, to be thankful. And I've thought a lot about those three incidents. I wasn't expecting those things, but it's like God put those in the midst of my path to pay attention and to listen, to hear, to observe. I wonder... that you don't expect, that's unexpected? How is God showing up and doing something funky and holy at the same time? God has come alongside of me to say, there's lots of reasons to hope. There's lots of reasons to have hope. Um, so hope 
when it surprises us, when it surprises Zacharias, begins to turn his, his eyes and his expectations to different things. One of the other things we know about hope is that hope turns our eyes and attention to truer matters. When, um, when the angel tells Zacharias about what John will do, John the Baptist, uh, we, we probably have, you probably have some sort of images about what John the Baptist looks like later in life. Here he is baptizing Jesus in, in the Jordan. It's kind of a classical picture of the last hundred years or so about what John the Baptist might look like. One of the things that's missing out of this picture are the crowds that would have been gathered around listening to John preach. Because one of the things that the angel tells Zacharias is that when John is, is a man, he's going to help turn Israel back to the Lord. He's going to help turn fathers back to the hearts of their children. He's going to help turn people who are ungodly back to the ways of godly wisdom. John is going to be filled with the power, and people are going to want to long to hear what John says because he's going to speak about truer things. He's going to speak about matters of the heart. And so it wasn't just Jesus who went out to see John, but it, were, it was thousands and throngs. They went to see John because they were longing for hope. They were longing for, for light. They were longing for somebody to speak about the, the true nature of who God is. And John began to do that. He began to be a, a candle in the darkness, if you will, where a lot of other people wouldn't speak with the same kind of truth. John began to speak with truth. After the, the events that took place in Paris a couple of weeks ago, I was reading through a number of articles, and I came across an article in Christianity Today written by a, a guy by the name of Mark Galley, and he was reflecting on the, on the question, why do people, after an extreme amount of violence, why do people take a candle and light it and join it with a number of other candles? And Galley wrote this on Christian Today. He says, Candlelight makes us aware of darkness and the threat of deeper darkness should the flame go out. As Anne Frank noted in the face of Nazi horrors, look at how a single candle can both defy and define the darkness. As the, fame, as the flame flickers and moves, the surrounding darkness is given shape. The candle doesn't eliminate the darkness, but it pushes us to the boundary of light, giving us space to reflect. And I'd add to Galley's observation that it not only gives us space to reflect, but it gives us space to reflect and then make plans and to act, to find that there's someone beyond us who's caring for the world. When John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, he's talking about God, he's sharing his life, he's like a like a candle that's been lit on fire. He's starting to talk about hope in a world where there's darkness. Um, when he does, people gather. And hope becomes infectious. How many of you had people at your house this past week celebrating Thanksgiving? We had uh, my brother... And his family, and my brother, uh, this one brother, has six kids. So our house was packed from Wednesday night till this morning. Uh, all our, our kids and then my brother and his, his family. And he's got three kids who are five years old and younger. 
So the place was, uh, well, you can just imagine what that's like. Some of you who have young kids. A lot of fun, a lot of craziness. My brother's got a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter who, when she walked in and saw our kittens, she was just ecstatic. She's like, kittens, kittens, kitties. You know, she'd go to the window, and she'd pound on the kitties, and the kittens were like, oh, no, get me out of here. There's a terrorist in the house. Uh, we want to get away from this girl. But she was, um, she was unstoppable. She would go to the window. She'd, she'd pound on the window. We'd let her out on the back porch. She'd chase the kitties down, and she'd pick them up, and she'd love on them. By the end of her stay, the kittens just loved Maddie. And her joy, well, her joy at seeing the kittens, at embracing the kittens, it was infectious, right? It just, it took over the rest of us. It took over the rest of the house. When the angel's talking to Zechariah, he says, Zechariah, God's going to do something in your life that you haven't planned on, you're not expecting, but it's going to be good. He said, Zechariah, there's going to be joy in your house, joy with you and Elizabeth, but your joy is going to be infectious. It's going to spread uh, from you to other people and from other people to the rest of the world. And joy is infectious because God, in, in fact, is infectious himself. Because when God's at work, other people want to know about it. Other people want to be a part of it. Other people want to have that experience. When God's at work, it's Incredible. So this infectious hope leads to something else. It leads to action. When God begins to move, God begins to call forth his life. Um, it calls forth action in Zechariah and Elizabeth and their world and how they raised John. And then it leads to John preaching in the wilderness and calling people to attend to things. It leads to action. Calls out Jesus into the midst of the world and he walks alongside of us. Hope leads to action. This past week, a magazine came to our house. It was World Magazine and on the front of was this cover of a father and a son from Syria who were seeking safer shores. And I thought about how, how this family must have a, an inordinate amount of hope to put themselves in a, in a great deal of harm's way to, find, to try and find a place that was safer than where they were living. You see, hope leads to action. As I look at that uh, picture, I don't know exactly what to say about the refugee crisis that there is with Syrians. I don't know what to say about that. I don't know what to think about that. But I will say this much. I'm inspired by the kind of hope that's within a father and his family to take great risks, to seek a kind of land like the land we live in, where we don't have the same kind of fears as what they do. And because they know that these kinds of places exist in the rest of the world, that kind of hope moves them to take a step of action. 
and I begin to think about the world then that, that I live in. And I wonder if hope is a gift from God and it surprises me along the way and it's something that, that lights up places that are dark, I wonder what action God would be calling me to take. What action is God calling us to take? Would it be to embrace some refugees from around the world? Maybe it's to go down the street and embrace a neighbor or to embrace somebody that we've been at, at distance from for a long time. Maybe not at distance, you know, like geography-wise, but maybe a distance of relationship. What action would hope drive us to, lead us to, ask us to embark upon? Because God is in our midst. A real simple thing that we can do in terms of acting on hope is to pick up one of the stars that's on the windows in the back that KJ talked about. We can help make a, a Christmas brighter for a boy or a girl in Springfield. But the kind of hope that God brings to us, I think, asks us for greater, deeper things. Let me invite you in this season of Advent, this preseason to Christmas, to tune your hearts in, to listen. How is God meeting you in surprising places? How is He stirring up hope in you? How is God asking you to act?